WhatsApp. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Was Sherman's March the first example of total war, or is that a modern exaggeration? We'll talk about this when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at the vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on-ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts, and on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building. And I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up. <laughs> because she knew I'd end up in college, not working at the vacant lot, like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Noah Andre Trudeau, author of Southern Storm, Sherman's March to the Sea. And we've not, as we sometimes do, been going over the events detailed in the book uh, with some of the more obscure battle books. Sometimes we need to lay out who's fighting who at what point. Uh, the assumption is if you're listening to the show, you know uh, where Sherman's March to the Sea started and where it ended and what year it happened. And uh, Instead, we've been talking about some of the, the uh, interpretations uh, within the book, uh, in particular the uh, treatment of Sher Sherman's treatment of Southern civilians, and that brings us to uh, a, a question frequently posed in uh, the historiography of Sherman's March, which is, is the Civil War uh, the first American total war? Uh, those who argue it is often cite Sherman's March as an example. And, Andy, to be fair, since I ask the questions and then get to respond to you, I will lay my card on the table first and say, no, I do not think this was a total war at all. Uh, but what's your view? No, I agree with you, Jerry. Uh, it was, you know, the, the term I prefer is the term used now called hard war. Um, you know, Sherman was, was proving the vulnerability of Southern civilians. He was waking them up to the fact that this Confederacy wouldn't protect them. Um, you know, total war to me is when Germany went into Russia in 1941. They were basically wiping the slate clean and, add, you know, imposing a whole new infrastructure on the society. 
Sherman had this amazingly conservative agenda. I mean, he, in his heart, he wanted at the end of the war the calendars to be turned back to 1860, when you know every aspect of society was in its place and everybody knew where they belonged. And he hated the fact that the war was upsetting all that. So I think it, it is ironic that he gets sort of quote unquote the credit for total war, which which often initiates revolutionary change. When in fact he was, you know, ulti- a social conservative, really of of, of the deepest sort. Well, the uh, I, I would certainly agree. In fact, I, I was writing in my notes to the book as I was reading it uh, in reference to total war. That same example you give of Germany's invasion of the Soviet Union, where uh, whole ethnic groups are, are being massacred, whole political and social classes are being wiped out. Uh, reading one one Southern woman. Uh, talking about the fear of Sherman's men coming in, they come into her house, and she was forced to make uh, make, make supper for them under protest. It said, mm-hmm. and just the the contrast, making supper under protest or having your family lined up against a wall and shot. One of those is total war, and the other one isn't. Um, you make a good point. I mean, uh, uh, not not that it's something you want to put a checklist on, but certainly one aspect of total war is when the the local intelligentsia is lined up against the wall and shot. I mean, you are destroying the the leadership base of a society. You know, Sherman doesn't do that. I mean, there are no government leaders that fall in his path in terms of mayors or town councilmen or anything like that that he imprisons or drags along with him. I mean, they're incidental to the march to the sea as far as he's concerned. He's he's not replacing any government or upsetting any government. He's just passing through, taking what he needs, and leaving leaving what's leaving behind him. But essentially the state structure intact. I mean, he's still in Savannah heading into the Carolinas, and the Georgia legislature is reconvened, for goodness sakes. So, you know, the government of Georgia is left standing at the end of this campaign. Well, I, I, my take is, the angle is slightly different, although I think our points are similar. But I, I would point out, not only does he not uh, arrest the intelligentsia, but no white civilians are killed by Sherman's men, as, as far as I recall, anywhere from your Possibly account or any Possibly one, yeah. uh, uh, but again, that, that's uh, there was one civilian casualty at Gettysburg, whereas at, at a you know any modern engagement of even a few hundred troops in a city, mm-hmm. there will be you know dozens of collateral casualties. That's correct. Uh, whereas in the Civil War, we know the name of the one woman killed at, at Gettysburg. It's such an unusual occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly with Sherman, uh, he is not killing civilians. Uh, uh, it's a long way. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of total war in the sense of destructiveness, uh, bombing civilians, whether the Germans bombing uh, Coventry or uh, or even Guernica, for goodness or Guernica, or the Allies bombing Dresden, mm-hmm. um, is total in the sense that you're you're targeting indiscriminately civilian and military targets yep. to crush the enemy as well. Whether it works or not is another story. Right. Um, which let me ask you another question regarding how this works. Um, Jacqueline Glass Campbell has written a book on the uh, on Sherman's march through the Carolinas, mm-hmm. in which she argues that where Sherman's men marched, the Southern women in particular were not uh, uh, intimidated, but rather their their Confederate nationalism intensified in reaction to losing all their goods to Sherman. They had nothing more to lose, so they hated him and the Union more than ever. But she found what we were discussing earlier, those who were not there, who were not touched by Sherman's men, the husbands in Georgia or the people in the next town, 
were terrified or, or, or otherwise upset and became less fervent in their Confederate nationalism. It did affect their morale, in other words. Mm-hmm. Did that reflect the kind of thing you found in your civilian accounts? Uh, the civilian accounts were all, all across the map. There were clearly some that were more angrier than ever about these outsiders uh, trying to interfere in their lives. So, you know, and and really the only peg they have to hang their hat on is the Confederacy as, as representing that. Um, you know, there's others. I mean, look, there are petitions delivered to the Confederate legislature and, of course, the city of Savannah has a convention and sends a petition saying, you know, guys, we need to reconsider this secession business, uh, I think. So there are, it's a swirl, a, a, a whirl of, of conflicting emotions, some, some bitter and more determined than ever, others weary enough to finally say, let's end this thing. Uh, but not enough on, on any side to really, you know, say that he left them angrier than he met them, or he left them more war weary than they were before. Um, you know, statistically, it's probably a draw. Okay. Here's a, a question that ties into something that comes up almost every week on the show, where, where the phenomenon of the that most Civil War books written today are not written by professional historians, professional academically trained historians, to be specific. Um, when an academic historian writes a book, you know who they're writing for, uh, often their peers in the field. When people in the Civil War field write these very detailed uh, tactical battle books uh, that are very popular, uh, they're writing for Civil War buffs, it's pretty clear. Who is your book aimed for? Everybody. <laughs> Well, uh, th- does it run the risk then of being in aiming at everybody that it doesn't hit anybody? I, I, sure. And I say that, and, and here's what I'm thinking. There were times as I read it where I had to ask myself, what exactly is the point? And, and I don't mean that overtly negatively, but there were times when I thought, okay, I'm getting the detail day after day, more detail day after day. What is, what, well, I guess, what, what is the point? Well, look, I I feel that part of the, the part of the the fascination with this campaign is that it is really walking with these soldiers and and working with these civilians as it progresses across the state. I mean, clearly, it's it changes the soldiers in in, in very subtle ways, and and I think it comes out in their. Per, their reactions to what they see, both in terms of the destruction, the presence of the African Americans in large numbers, their firsthand view of slavery uh, on a grand scale that they've never seen before, their sense of being part of something so large uh, that potentially uh, is bringing the war to a close. But this, you know, this doesn't happen in, in one mile's worth of march or one day's worth of march. It happens gradually over the course of this whole march. And I think, you know, many of the histories you've talked about, often the standard approach is really to to clump the march to the sea and the Carolinas campaign into a single study. Sometimes it's they're they're just completely uh, squunched together, and it's looked thematically in chapters about African Americans, and you move from one sentence about Georgia slaves to another about South Carolina slaves, and and 
generalizations are, are rolled up at those points. Um, or those that are doing sort of a narrative history, it's invariably going to be, you know, one quarter the March to the Sea and three quarters the Carolinas campaign. And I think the tapestry, the richness, the texture, the the variety of voices and experiences of the March to the Sea, there's just a wonder I found in, in, in that dense density and, and, and in the storytelling and in those individual experiences. And I really felt that it needed to unfold in that sort of slow pace. I mean, I, I fully understand... Uh, sort of the modern style and the need for for fast pacing, but Sherman's March really defied that. And I, you know, obviously I made editorial choices trying to find the best and and most appropriate material. Well, like, let, let me. That was actually my next question. What what was the selection criteria? I, I mean, as as any historian goes through notes, you read say Hitchcock's memoirs. Um, you're going to quote some parts but not others. You're reading a diary of a private from Iowa. You're going to quote some parts but not others. As you were going through, what was in your mind as, as these are the kinds of things I want to keep, these are the things I want to cite in the book? Well, clearly I knew the major elements in the in the daily routine of the march. I mean, you're going to have issues regarding the, the movement, the, the destruction, the uh, opposition, the command decisions that are being made, uh, the the uh, uh, environmental things about the the countryside or the or the slaves that are there, and then weaving out of the the, the diaries for those particular days, the 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 things that speak to those in ways that I found engaging and interesting, and 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 weaving them together. Um, trying to emphasize as much as possible the manuscript material from 1864 and treating more carefully the later, even more popular and well-known published material from the 1870s, 1880s, and 1890s, just because of that, that the skepticism that it, some of those stories are probably too good to be true. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's always a risk, certainly, when looking for the, yep. the best bits. But, uh, you know, out of all of that, I mean, this was an epic event in American history that took from November 15th to December 10th when they draw up before Savannah, 60,000 men marching, you know, 60,000 stories every day. And I really wanted to create that texture and and work with it. Uh, well, rather I, 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 than, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I, work with <laughs> it ra- rather than, sli- you know, just slim it down and try to move it along just for some abstract feeling of, of pace. Well, I think that in, in that sense, uh, as the saying goes, quality, has, quantity has a quality all its own, and uh, this does successfully convey that uh, the, the the grandeur and the size of the march, and, and by following it on a daily basis, it also helps recreate, for me at, at least, the a little bit of the, the sense of contingency that you don't know how it's going to end. Of course, the reader knows Sherman will end up safely in Savannah, but we all take that for granted when we open a book like this that we already know the ending and uh, one of the book's successes I think is that it's possible at times to get deep into details of a obscure battle at say Griswoldville and 
realize that at least these men didn't know they were going to end up safe in Savannah. Not all of them are, but most of them. Right. Uh, that that for them, you know, Griswoldville is, is could be their Gettysburg if it's their last battle. Right. Uh, so, unfortunately, we could go on as long as Sherman's March about this. Cause it's a fascinating <laughs> subject, but we are out of time. So, uh, Andy, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Jerry. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio, Studio A.